So we live at a time and in a global society where some of us are getting a little worried about things like freedom of speech, freedom of religion. Seems like they might be under threat a bit. The gospel reading and the epistle reading today both kind of put this in perspective. Uh, you know, it's, it's, these are significant concerns. We, as Christians, we've enjoyed freedom of speech and freedom of religion in this country for many generations now. It's nice. We like it. But obviously, like it to stay this way. But this is not what Christians have enjoyed, historically speaking, for a long time. In many cases, in many situations, in many countries, and even from the very beginning, these are not things that we enjoyed in part because they were kind of, to some extent, uh, almost unheard of before Christianity. As, as I said last, last week when we, in our, in our, uh, when we talked, um, the, the Christianity actually requires a space in which to be wrong uh, because Christianity is about repentance. And so uh, it's actually the, the freedom of speech, the freedom of religion that we do enjoy now are actually the byproducts of the, the dominance of Christianity throughout the, well, in the world's most influential cultures uh, for the last little while. We're inheriting the benefits of that. But we can see from the gospel reading and from the epistle reading uh, that this was not the case uh, certainly not always the case, and not the, definitely not the case at the beginning. The, um, the story of the man born blind. What happens to him? He gets thrown out of the synagogue. Why? Because uh, he was telling the truth about what happened to him. When they asked him what happened to him. That's not fair. That's not right. That's not justice. Or the, the apostle, Paul, when he uh, was, you know, being harassed, really. I'll, I'll start with this one. <laughs> so Paul and Silas are uh, uh, on uh, one of their missionary journeys uh, with the apostle Luke. I, I love that little detail. Now it happened as we went to prayer. Just like this slight, slight transition as you read through the Gospel of Luke, uh, oh, sorry, the Acts of the Apostles written by Luke, uh, that, that uh, he's uh, just kind of makes this unconscious transition to from, from this happened to we experienced this. This is something Luke, this was part where Luke, Luke was present for. So they, they were, they were they're in this city, they were going to prayer, and a certain slave girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, divination met us who brought her master's profit by fortune-telling. As, uh, as, as the saying goes, you know, follow the money, right? Um, this girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Interesting that the demon here is actually saying the truth. These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation. Uh, and this she did for many days. Well, I can see how that might get just a little annoying. It's like you're, you're, you're trying to tell people about Jesus and then this slave girl in the background, these men are servants of the most high God, listen to them. 
Okay, I'm just gonna... These men are... Like, I'm trying to talk. These men are servants of the Most High God. Listen to them. Finally, Paul gets just so frustrated that he simply turns to her and says, Look, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And the evil spirit who had been tormenting her and controlling her for many other year came out of her at that very hour. So this seemed like a good thing, right? It's uh, As Christians, at any rate, we understand demon possession as something evil and horrible. It wasn't quite so much how it was understood in the ancient world. Uh, there was actually a certain um, higher status on some level uh, that did accrue to those who were possessed by, by the gods or the spirits or the demons. Um, but, but from a Christian perspective, this is horrible. This is, this, is, this is bad. This is wrong. But in this case, it wasn't even so much that. She's still a slave. She's still a slave girl. Uh, and the, 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 the kind of key touch point here was that she, by excommunicating, uh, sorry, ex, uh, by ex exercising the demon, Paul had removed their master of the slaves ability to make profit off of her. Which again, from, from, from a Christian, Christian's perspective, it's somehow even more disgusting. You're profiting off of this young girl's affliction. But money is money and money talks. These guys obviously had a fair bit of it. And they go to the magistrates and they, 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 they actually, they, uh, they, they see Paul and Silas drag them into the marketplace to the authority, uh, brought them to the magistrates and said, these men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. Uh, like how they kind of leverage anti-Semitism there. Like, <laughs> these guys are Jews. We already know they're bad. Um, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. A complete lie. Absolute fabrication. There's nothing in Paul or Silas or what they're teaching or what they're saying that is unlawful for Romans to observe. But do they listen? No. I mean, the internet mob is not a new thing. This is just the mob. It's just, it's just the mob translated to the internet. And so there's, there's no trial, there's no investigation, there's no investigative reporting, there's no judge, there's not, I guess there is a judge but the, the magistrates are there and they're just like, okay, fine. Uh, let's just deal with this summarily. We'll, we'll beat them and we'll throw them into prison in a high security cell. So they do. And, uh, and so the, 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 the uh, and, and, and you get the multitude rising up together against them. The magistrates tear off their clothes. They, they beat them with rods. They throw them into the jail and they command the jailer to keep them secure. So he puts them in the inner prison in stocks. So here are Paul and Silas have done absolutely nothing wrong. The only thing they've done is actually something good, <laughs> uh, helping out this poor slave girl. And, and, and they're in the prison in stocks with their backs hurting. That's gotta be terribly bad. Like you'd wanna at least like take care of it. They can't even do that. And they're chained up. You'd think if anybody at, at any point had any right to feel kind of sorry for themselves, 
they do at this point, right? Uh, the, uh, I mean, I think of Elijah at this point, you know, he, he's, he's uh, after, after he does the amazing miracle of the prophets of Baal uh, and, and, uh, and he, he's, he's like running away and feeling sorry for himself. Totally not what Paul and Silas are doing. They pray and they sing so much, so, so much that the, the, the people in the other cells are listening to them. Uh, and as they're praying and singing, there's a huge earthquake. And every single door in, kind of an interesting earthquake, every single door in the, in the prison flies open, all of the chains fall off, and, and the jailer wakes up. Uh, I know what that's like. I was in Japan in the Kobe quake, and we woke up, and uh, like, the whole room is shaking, and it's, uh, it's kind of scary and disorienting. And he, he rushes out, and he sees all the doors open, all the chains unloosed, and he, he's, he has in mind the word that has been spoken to him, the, the command that he's been given, keep these guys secure. He assumes they've run off, and he takes out his sword to kill himself. Because that was, you know, the Roman way of doing things. You want to, I mean, seppuku, no, that's the sorry, the Japanese way of doing things. Uh, you, want, you have to kill yourself for your for for your honor. Uh, uh, and and Paul says, no, don't do that. Stop. We're still here. No, we haven't run away. And he commands lights to to be brought, and he runs in and falls down trembling before them. And 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 he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And uh, and I'll pause there for, for, for a minute. I want to come back to it, but uh, I want to, want to kind of flip over to, because that, that gives us a sense of one of the things that God does in response to uh, injustice, persecution, you know, the, the being mistreated and so on. I, I do have to come back to that, but let's, let's, let's go back to the, uh, to the gospel reading. So here, got a man blind from birth, and his disciple, as as Jesus is passing by, his disciples are, come become aware of him, and and they're aware, I guess, that he's born, born blind, and they're wondering, as we all kind of do under these circumstances, what's going on here? I mean, God's good, right? We we do believe that. So, so where does this evil, this sadness, this, this, this brokenness come from? Maybe it came from the man himself. Maybe he did something in the womb or something. Is that, is that a possibility? I don't know. Good, good theological speculation there. Um, uh, or, or maybe it was his parents. Uh, maybe they did something. And it's a punishment to the parents that he's born blind. So, so that, that's kind of the, the thinking of the day. Uh, and so the disciples are just echoing the culture, the thinking of the day. And it's like, okay, well, it's got to be one or the other. Lord, which one is it? You know, you're the teacher, Rabbi. Uh, who, who sinned, this man or his parents that he was born blind? And, and Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God might be revealed in him. So the reason this man was born blind had nothing to do with any of the great theological, uh, like the, the theological debate was completely irrelevant in this case. Uh, they, they completely missed the point. Uh, it, he was born blind so that the works of God could be revealed in him. And so he, he, he takes, um, when, he's, when, he, when he 
explained to his disciples, he, he takes, he spats on the ground, made clay from the, with the saliva and the dust, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay, and he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent forth, picking up on our evangelism theme that we talked about last week. Uh, so, so, uh, so he went and he washed and he came back seeing. I kind of love how uh, John uh, does that. Like, it's just so, so, so succinct. <laughs> it's like, he went, he washed, came back seeing. Uh, uh, and, and then the neighbors come and they see the guy who was born blind. And it's like, wait, is this the same guy? He can see. Are you sure it's the same guy who sat and begged? And some said, yeah, yeah, it's him. And others said, no, no, it's not. And he said, ah, I'm him. <laughs> I am he. Uh, again, I love that, 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 that progression that Luke gives. There's this big controversy. And he just simply carefully, uh, simply resolves the controversy by saying, yep, it's me. So they ask him, well, so how were your eyes opened? And he says, a man named Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. So just, he tells it just, just like it happened. It's very clear, right? Um, well, you don't need Facebook for news to travel. <laughs> news gets to uh, the, the, the kind of leaders, uh, the Pharisees. They're the ones who are in control of the synagogues. Uh, and, and, um, and they want to know about it. They, they bring the guy to the Pharisees. And of course, of course, it was a Sabbath day on which Jesus did this. So the Pharisees, as you know, very, very zealous about keeping the law and making sure everybody else kept the law, especially the law of the Sabbath. No work on the Sabbath. They had very clear definitions about what was work on the Sabbath down to like, you know, whether you can carry a pin in your cloak. Is that work? Well, it's just a pin and it's in your cloak, but you're carrying it. Carrying something is work. So, so, um, so they bring him to the Pharisees and they ask how he received his sight. And he says, well, he put clay in my eyes and I washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can the man who is a sinner do such things? And there's a division, a, a legitimate debate among the Pharisees. They're not all horrible people. We know Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and by night because he didn't want to get in trouble. He <laughs> didn't want to ruin his reputation. Uh, later on, he throws his reputation to the wind and helps uh, um, uh, Joseph of Arimathea take Jesus' body down from the cross. Uh, but but there's a division among the Pharisees and 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 they're, they're discussing like, well, wait a second. If he's a sinner, how could he possibly do this stuff? Um, so they said to the blind man again, well, what do you say about him? He opened your eyes. What, what do you think about him? And he says, he's a prophet. But then they don't believe that this is actually the man born blind. Like, no, oh, no, it's got to be. It's got, they, they've got it really clear in their heads. Their theology is absolutely crystal clear. Somebody sinned. Uh, and, and there's no way that this guy could possibly be. Uh, so so, so let's, let's just double check. They bring the parents in. And they and the, and the, and they're they're gonna and so to to be fair to them they're doing due diligence they're doing their research right that's what you're supposed to do you're supposed to actually figure out what happened by getting the people in who should be able to authoritatively tell you what happened so they they get the parents in and they say is this your son who was born blind how does he now see and his parents answered and said yeah 
this is our son. We know it's our son. Uh, and of course he was born blind. We know that. Uh, but by what means he sees, we don't know. Who opened his eyes? We don't know. He's of age. Ask him. He can speak for himself. And they're, they know. Uh, uh, like we, we get this and it's it's slightly uh, a kind of slightly compressed i think it, they know the controversy that's swirling they know that people who are following these are being put out of the synagogue they don't want to get in trouble so they're like okay just just ask him it's like but we we'll, we vouch for him it's it's him he was blind don't know anything more so so okay they bring the they 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 bring they bring the uh uh, the man who was born blind uh, back in and say to him, give God the glory. Kind of, this is like a solemn, you, you have to say the truth. Give God the glory. Um, uh, we know this man is a sinner. That's their starting point. So I guess they've, I guess they've had their debate. They've resolved it. They've come to some sort of consensus. Wait, they know he's a sinner. And the man says, and, and I love this. I, well, one of the things I, I, I'm noticing about the Gospel of John is, you know, as we're working through it now, this time, is, man, he has lots of dialogue, all this back and forth. It's great. It's amazing. Uh, so, so he says, well, you know, whether he, his answer is whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. I don't know the guy, right? Um, but what I do know is that I was blind and now I see. So they said to him again, well, how did he open his, how, how, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? I told you already. Do you want to become his disciples too? <laughs> it's like, you're his disciple? Well, we're Moses' disciples. We know God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't know anything about him. We don't even know where he's from. The man is like, this is, this is strange. You don't know anything about him. And yet, we know that we've never heard of anybody opening the eyes of the blind from you know, and, and we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. So good basic theology, right? Somebody's somebody's just living in sin, doesn't care about God. Why should God listen to him, right? Um, uh, but if anybody were, is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. So if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. Good logic actually makes sense, right? He, he's, he's kind of worked it out. He's thought about it, like, the, the, I don't know anything about him, but he can't be a bad guy because he opened my eyes. Uh, I, and and we, this is like impossible. We've never experienced anything before, like any kind of miracle like this before. The only person who could do that, who could actually create eyes and somebody who never had them would be God. Uh, somebody, uh, and, and so God must have worked through this man and God doesn't work through sinners. So he can't be a sinner. Good basic logic. They don't have an answer for him. So their answer is, you were completely born in sins and you're teaching us and they throw him out. <sighs> this, is, this, is, this is what we have to contend with. This is what we have to expect. People have made up their minds. They're not really interested in the facts. They're not really interested in the truth. They can't handle the truth. Uh, and so, they, they just fall back on, well, what they think they know. And what they think they know in this case is wrong. Jesus clarified at the very beginning, it's wrong. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. If anybody knows, it's Jesus. 
but they fall back on this incorrect assumption and they throw them out. And I think one thing to, that we need to take from that is, yeah, we can expect people to not understand us as Christians. They don't share the same basic assumptions. They don't share the same basic understanding that we do, that, that we have. And so they're not going to get it. Why would they? Uh, and, and there's a tendency amongst human beings to just like not really care that much, you know, not actually care about getting to the truth, especially when the truth is something threatening, when, especially when the truth is going to require a significant change of them. Uh, and, and, and this would require a pretty significant change. These guys are disciples of Moses. They don't want to be disciples of Jesus. They don't know anything about him. They don't want to know anything about him. So, you know, they, they do the thing. They, they fall back on their assumptions and they throw them out. And it's unjust. It's wrong. It, 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 it hurts. And what happens? Well, in this case, there's no earthquake. Nothing flashy happens. Um, but Jesus heard that they cast him out. And he went and he found the guy. And he said, do you believe in the Son of God? So what happens? Jesus comes. He comes and he talks to him. And he answered and says, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Like, I don't know. And I love Jesus' answer. Jesus says to him, you have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you. He knows exactly what it's like to be blind. He went and he washed and he saw, but he didn't see Jesus. Now he sees him and hears him and he recognizes him because he knows his voice. That's how he worked as a blind person. And now he's a seeing person and now he actually sees. And he says, Lord, I believe. And he worships him. And then that's the end of the pericope. That's the end of the, the reading. But in both cases, I want to go just a little beyond the end of the reading. Because Jesus goes on to say, and, and you know, the, the, the focus of the pericope is, is the, the belief. The, 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 but, but Jesus goes on to say, for judgment, I have come into the world. That those who do not see may see. And that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now that you say we see, but now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. <clears throat> the, the, Jesus comes into the world for judgment. By his very presence, he is judgment. Even though he's not coming to judge the world at this point, by his very presence, he is a dividing, a, a dividing figure. You once you encounter Jesus, you have to make up your mind about him. You have to figure out who is he? Is he who he says he is? Is he God made flesh? Or is he not? And that's going to be a huge, significant division. 
it is a form of judgment. Um, and the, uh, the, the, he's also come to illumine us so that those who are blind may see. He comes to show us the truth, show us reality, help us to see things as they really are. But at the same time, as people reject him, they end up embracing that judgment. And so that they, as they say we see, see, end up judged, end up blind. So in this case, I kind of, I kind of think I, the this these two stories give us kind of a bookend as to or, or um, the, the bookends the the two two different like endpoints of possible endpoints in terms of what how God God Himself responds to our persecution at the hands of those who don't understand. On the one hand, you have a very quiet private uh, encounter with Christ, which simply reveals to the person, like he's, he's been faithful, it's, he's been unjustly condemned, he's been unjustly put out of the synagogue, he's been mistreated, he's been, he's been slandered, but he's faithful. And as a result of that faithfulness, Christ himself shows up. God is with him. And that is the that is the witness of the martyrs, that in the in the ultimate extremity, they find that God is with them. And then I think we can take comfort from as we face, you know, probably by God's grace, maybe we're not going to face anything like this. Uh, but if we, face, we might face misunderstanding, uh, you know, some form of minor persecution, or maybe more major. Who knows? We, we, God only knows what's coming. But we do know that as we are faithful, God will be with us. But that's not the only thing. Because as, 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 we, as we saw in the case of Paul and Silas, uh, there was this amazing earthquake, this absolutely huge public spectacle. Um, uh, and yet even there, Paul and Silas don't take advantage of that. They don't escape. They just wait because they're actually more interested in, in this case, in the fate of the individual, the fate of the jailer, and actually not just the individual, the collective, his family. And so they, they, they recognize, look, if we, if we run away, the jailer is gonna get in trouble. So they don't. And the jailer recognizes this. That's why he falls down at their feet and says, trembling, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And their response to him is, well, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. I love that verse, especially because uh, in the church where I grew up, we had half of the verse on, up, up on the wall. Churches that I grew up in had, had no icons, but scripture texts were okay. So they had, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. There's no period there. <laughs> you and your household is, is, is continuing. That was, that was theologically problematic, so that didn't get put out there. Uh, <laughs> so, so, uh, so they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night, and he washed their stripes. Oh, man, that must have been such an amazing relief to them <laughs> after being in the stocks, unable to deal with their bleeding, painful backs, 
he washes he washes their their their, their strikes their, the 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 scars, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. And that's where that this this reading ends, right? Uh, but then he brings them into the house and he sets food before them. Food is important. Uh, we we always have our agape meal whenever we can because that's a part of that fellowship. Uh, he sets food before them and he rejoices rejoices having believed it in god with all of his household and when it came when it was day the magistrate sent the officers saying let those men go so the keeper of the men reported these words to paul saying the keeper of the prison who's now a christian <laughs> reports these words to paul saying the magistrates have sent to let you go now therefore depart and go in peace but paul said to them they have beaten us openly uncondemned romans and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. Love that. <laughs> Paul is a Roman citizen. With Roman citizenship comes significant privileges, one of which is the right to a fair trial, another of which is not to be beaten with rods. Uh, and and uh, probably uh, unfair imprisonment is, is kind of high on the list there too. The magistrates are in trouble. Uh, and this was a huge and public thing, you know, the, 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 um, so when, when he gets the word that they can go, Paul says, nope, not going, not setting his foot out of this prison. Besides, we're comfortable here now, uh, <laughs> um, until they come and essentially, uh, tell us themselves. Uh, maybe one might hope for an apology. I, 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 the, the officer, when the officers told these words to the magistrates, they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. And they came and pleaded to them and brought them out and asked them to put apart from the city. Please go away. Please just go quietly. And, 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 so, and, and so they do. So then they, they went out from the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and, and departed. These are some of our foundational stories. Jesus made it really, really clear from the beginning with his disciples that they were going, like, if they've persecuted and misjudged me, they'll do worse to you. We know this. If anybody calls you to sign up to be a Christian, promising you health and wealth and whatever other prosperity, tell them you're not preaching the true gospel. Because this is not the gospel. We are going to have tribulation in the world. And our job is simple. Be faithful. But our job is also not simply to be faithful doormats. We can speak up. We have, as we have rights and privileges as citizens of this country, we can actually voice our concern. We can actually say, you know, we shouldn't be obnoxious about it. But it's important to call people to, to witness to the truth. That's what got the, the formerly blind man in trouble. Witnessing to the truth. To speak the truth in love is our calling in Christ. It doesn't necessarily mean in a, in, in a society where things are so incredibly polarized that people will understand you. It almost certainly means that people will misunderstand you and misjudge you and misrepresent you and slander you. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't, that you should stop talking. 
Uh, but it does mean expect that. Also understand where it's coming from. Be compassionate in ways that they are not being compassionate. This is the way that Christ taught us to live. We need to do that in order that those who might even be our jailers might actually come to the faith. Because this faith is for everyone. This truth, this reality is the reality that absolutely everyone lives in, whether they know it or not. They need to be illumined. They need to see. They need the light of Christ. And it's our job to, well, not to convert everybody, but simply to be faithful, to speak the truth in love, to take whatever it is that they give us, whether just or unjust, and to love with the love of Christ, to his glory, the glory of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Now, different into ages of this.